The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Proverbs 29 this afternoon. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Proverbs 29, looking at verses 1 through 14 of this chapter. Now give our attention as God speaks to us in His Word, Proverbs 29, 1-14. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. By justice a king brings up or builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. This concludes the reading of God's Word. May God now be pleased to add His blessing to it. Well, it was in my mid-30s that I finally humbled myself and realized that I needed glasses. So I went to the optometrist, and the optometrist confirmed that I indeed needed glasses. Confirmed it more than I actually wanted her to confirm But when I put on glasses for the first time, I really couldn't believe how blind I was. I think one of the ways, the primary ways my vision improved was crispness. Things that were kind of blurry suddenly had definition and distinction. And I think this is one way that we can describe the book of Proverbs. Uh, The book of Proverbs is like spectacles that bring clarity, crispness, definition to wisdom. I think most of us can recognize foolishness and see a distinction between foolishness and wisdom. Even an unbeliever can do that. An unbeliever can look at somebody and say, man, that was foolish. I would not do that. And can be right about that. But because of our fallen nature, and because we have a tendency to be blinded to our own sin, We need the book of Proverbs to be those spectacles that we put on to give us better definition and crispness in order to distinguish between foolishness and wisdom, especially in our life. 
And so we're going to look at four areas where the spectacles of Proverbs helps us to better understand wisdom or discern wisdom from foolishness. And they are rebuke, rabble, rejoice, and ruler. I couldn't. I guess I have to at least have one sermon on the Lord's Day that has an alliteration. Since I failed this morning, this makes up for it. So first rebuke, verse 1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Now this is something we've seen come up quite a bit in Proverbs. We're almost to the end here. And you may have noticed this theme ongoing. A person who does not take rebuke or correction is a fool. We saw this towards the beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7, fools despise instruction. Proverbs 9 says this is the distinguishing mark between a fool and a wise person. It's not whether or not they need correction, because it says there in Proverbs 9, correct a wise person. Hence, a wise person needs correction at times. Rather, the distinction is how they receive it. A fool hates it. A wise person will love it. Proverbs 12.1 says that whoever hates reproof is stupid. And this is because, as Proverbs 12.15 says, a fool is right in his own eyes, whereas a wise person will listen to correction. A fool hates correction because it insinuates he's wrong. He's lacking. He's not enough. We hear that quite a bit in the world. Believe that you are enough. But Proverbs is saying, believe the opposite. You need correction. You need others to come alongside you. And if you notice, Proverbs never says, beware that the correction you receive is wrong. It always assumes that the one who refuses to take correction is in the wrong, especially as our proverb says here, who is often reproved. So it's not just a one-time correction. It's a correction that keeps coming to you. And someone's like, you're not seeing this. You need to see this. And it's more than one person. To walk away and say, they're all wrong. I'm just misunderstood. My perception. My perception is right out of all this correction shows that this person is wise in his own eyes. And this pride will eventually prove fatal. We see in this verse that after hardening their neck to many reproofs, suddenly they will be broken without cure. Now for believers, this is discipline. Discipline happens. God has a way in His providence of getting our attention. But for unbelievers who demonstrate their unbelief and their pride and the refusal to hear any correction, who are wise in their own eyes, they will suddenly come judgment before God. And it will be too late. As the proverb here says, they will have their neck broken beyond healing. As Proverbs 1 says, wisdom will laugh and mock at his judgment that has come upon him without anyone to deliver him. And then verse 5 talks about the absence of rebuke, but instead things that our flesh would prefer to hear. Verse 5, 
A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. It seems safer to be around people who don't suggest that there's anything lacking, that aren't so annoying, aren't always telling you that you know something's wrong with you. Uh, the flatterer is the one who constantly praises and never condemns, never criticizes, caresses your ego, tells you the things that you want to hear, tells you how wonderful you are, tells you smooth things. But this person is not providing you a safe space, but is laying a sneer for your feet, laying a net for your feet. This is ancient trapping. You lay a net out to catch an animal. The one who uses flattery is doing just that to you. They do not have your best interests at heart, but want to get something out of you. They want you to provide maybe some sort of material blessing or good, or they want you to affirm them back. Hey, I affirm you, you affirm me. And when you do not sufficiently do that, then they turn on you. Now, this does not mean that anyone who is encouraging or who compliments you is, is doing this. So, ladies, someone compliments your outfit. You don't need to worry. Oh no, this person's laying a sneer for me. And we don't want to be critical in spirit and only point out fault in order to avoid being a flatterer. I don't want to be a flatterer, so I'm just going to criticize and only point out fault. No, that usually comes from a legal spirit. We can be encouraging. We can point out the grace in God's, uh, the grace of God in people's life and be light. But we don't want to flatter in the sense of, I just want to be affirmed and I want people to like me and I'm never going to bring correction when correction is needed. So with these Proverbs, the proverbial spectacles on, we see that those who refuse rebuke and those who flatter are not wise but fools. A second area where the spectacle of Proverbs helps us better discern wisdom from foolishness is rabble. That's a riotous mob or troublemakers. Look at verse 8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Now, literally in the Hebrew, this says scoffers blow on a city. And it's an idiom for stirring up a city, stirring up calamity and disturbances, kind of like a strong wind that blows through, stirs things up. It's also an idiom for setting a city on fire. In any case, it refers to those who create chaos, have a, havoc, disturbances. Uh, we saw this quite a bit in 2020 um, here in America. That's why our population in this area went up. Uh, when we saw riots and, and buildings being burned in various cities, uh, when we put the biblical spectacles on, we see that those who do this are not fighting for justice, but are scoffers. Those who are hardened fools and scoff at true wisdom and justice. In contrast, we see that it is the wise who turn away wrath. Uh, they know how to use their words and their works to promote Peace, true justice, and righteousness. They know that a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. They understand that they are to not be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil 
with good. As Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But this proverb in verse 8 is balanced out, in a sense, by the proverb in verse 9, which says, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. So a wise man knows how to turn away wrath, but that doesn't mean it's going to work, because fools are hardened and impenetrable. A wise man has an argument with the fool, that is, he pleads a case with him, that's what that means. But the fool responds unreasonably. He either rages in his anger to justify himself and his wickedness, or he just scoffs and laughs at the person using ad hominem. Since he has no logical argument, he just attacks the man, makes fun of him, mocks him, but no peace and quiet is obtained. In line with this is verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So a fool does not have self-control. He lets you have it. He gives you a piece of his mind. He has a hard time holding back his spirit. But a wise man is able to control himself even after a fool has let him have it and has abused him with his anger. In verse 10, Bloodthirsty men hate the right, the one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. This verse is kind of hard to interpret. Literally from the Hebrew it says, Men of bloodshed hate the blameless, but the upright seek his life. So there's a contrast here in the original Hebrew. Men of bloodshed hate the blameless, but the contrast is the upright seek his life. Now, the difficulty is that the phrase seeks his life is used 29 times in the Bible. And each of those 29 times, it refers uh, the other 29 times. Uh, this would be the 30th time. It refers to killing somebody. Seeking somebody's life refers to killing someone. Well, that phrase is used here. And so the way the ESV translates it is that the bloodthirsty men do both. They're the ones that are seeking the life of the upright. And while this is true, I don't think that's what this verse is saying because the clear contrast in the original Hebrew. Rather, this is an ironic way of putting it. Bloodthirsty men hate the righteous. And indeed, it's true that they seek their life. But in an ironic way, the upright are the ones who seek others' lives. Not in a bloodthirsty way, the way, it's, the way it tends to be used, but rather in a way that seeks to save their life, that seeks their well-being, telling them the truth, telling them the truth of the gospel. So this is put in, a, in an ironic way. And, and the Bible tells us why bloodthirsty men hate the righteous. In 1 John 3, the Apostle John tells us why Cain murdered his brother Abel. It's because Abel's deeds were righteous while his were evil. The exposing light of his brother's righteous deeds was too much for him to bear. And so he hated it. He felt condemned and ashamed. And this is why wicked men hate the upright. And this is why wicked men want to create a civil society where sin and wickedness are celebrated 
rather than condemn. And they even used children, impressionable children, to achieve that purpose. But we seek their well-being. We seek for them to be delivered from their enslaving wickedness and seek to do them well. A third area where the spectacle of Proverbs helps us better discern wisdom from foolishness is rejoicing. Verse 3, He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. So here we see that wisdom causes others to rejoice. It causes one's father to rejoice. Children who grow up to walk in wisdom make their parents glad. I think those who don't have children don't fully understand this until they do. You want what's best for your children. It's, it's greatly painful to see them walk in wickedness, knowing that it's destructive not only for them in this life, but also in the life to come if they do not repent. It is a heavy, heavy burden. But there's great joy when they walk in wisdom. And this is why that parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is so powerful. We see the, the father delight to see his son come back, even after his son has squandered uh, his wealth with prostitutes, which is what our verse here says. But what a joy it is to have them walk in the truth. And we even see in that uh, the grace of God. Because all of us have squandered God's wealth, the things He's given to us, on sin. But He has given us repentance and He has welcomed us back. And He has received us and clothed us with the best robe. And I also want you to notice that this is referring to someone who loves wisdom. They don't just comply outwardly in order to not get in trouble, kind of fly under the radar, to look like a good Christian when they love and cherish sin. Rather, they truly love wisdom from the heart. They see wisdom's value. They see its treasure. They see its worth. They long for more of it. And this is really what the whole book of Proverbs has been about. Why you should love wisdom. Why it is valuable. Why it is of great and unsurpassing worth. And wisdom also causes one who has it to rejoice. Look at verse 6. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sins and rejoices. Now this can refer to an evil man who's seeking to ensnare others with his transgression. Or it can refer to the transgression that evil men walk in being ensnaring. That sin itself is enslaving and ensnaring. In any case, evil men are ensnared and trapped by their sin. They're in slavery to sin. However, the righteous sing and rejoice. And given the context here, the righteous sing and rejoice not over their circumstances. Oftentimes their circumstances are hard. But rather they sing and rejoice over the fact that they are not enslaved to sin. And even though you may struggle with it, and even though they fight against it, 
the promise still remains to us who believe. Even after we've fallen into sin or we're having a hard time with the besetting sin, the promise remains true to us that we must embrace that sin is no longer our master because we are not under the law as a covenant of works, but under grace. Our Lord Jesus Christ has delivered us from our sin because He died for that sin, for all our sin, to pay for it. He was crushed by the penalty of our sin so that there's no penalty or condemnation for us who believe. And with that comes a freedom from sin's enslaving power. Sin still rages, but it no longer reigns in those who have trusted Christ. As we seek to walk in righteousness and put off sin, as we battle, as we struggle, as we fall, as sin sometimes gets the upper hand, we must remember that the, the exit, the way out of sin always is the promises of the Gospel. Not only are you forgiven, and you don't need to become somebody in order to be forgiven, but also you're free. Yes, the, the experience is I don't feel free, but with the Gospel, Christ sets those who believe free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And that is why we can rejoice and sing even as we struggle in this life. And we can embrace the promise that He who began that good work in us, He is the one who will be faithful to complete it. That is a promise of the Gospel. A fourth and final area where the spectacle of Proverbs helps us better discern wisdom from foolishness pertains to rulers. As a segue... Between rejoicing and rulers, we read in verse 2, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Righteous people who do what is right and serve the benefits of others, serve for the benefits of others, increase happiness, increase rejoicing. The quality of life goes up. Wicked rulers, on the other hand, cause them to groan. They increase misery. And as we see with Pharaoh in Exodus, it usually comes because of tyranny and harshness. Verse 4, By justice a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. So a ruler builds up, and the word means stabilizes a society by justice. That is by doing what is just and right, including punishing the wicked, and giving justice to the innocent, doing what is best and right for all people. But he who exacts gifts, and sometimes this is translated as a heavy taxation or taking a bribe. In any case, it's somebody who's doing things for the profit and benefit of oneself will end up tearing it down. So the pivot point between stability and instability is doing justice, is doing justly, is doing righteousness. But as verse 12 says, if a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. Those who stick around to serve him will be led astray by that corruption. In fact, he's probably surrounding himself with people who just tell him the things he wants to hear, even if they are false. But a righteous ruler knows what is just and true and carries it out. Verse 7, 
A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. So in order for a man to do justly, he must understand justice, including the rights of the poor. Because he understands that they have rights not because of who they are or where they are in society, but because of their Creator made in His image. Verse 13, The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. So the poor man and the one who oppresses him, because he has more power and resources, still have this in common. The Lord has given light to the eyes of them both. Uh, Meaning that he's caused them to see the light of day. It's an idiom for having given them light. It's in line with Proverbs 22.2, which says, The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Both are made by God. Both are under his authority. So to do what is right is for the oppressor to be punished and the poor to receive justice. There is no partiality with God. So there should be no partiality with man. And by doing right and justly, the king the kingdom receives stability, and the king's reign is also established security securely. Verse 14. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. So if a king is righteous, then he will give justice to the poor. And especially in that day, it's easy to thrust aside the poor because they really can't benefit you. They cannot increase your wealth. They can't increase your social status. They typically can't provide you with a good service because back then the poor were those who were blind or lame or had some sort of disability that prevented them from working. And so the only real reason to faithfully judge the poor, to give them justice, was because the king knew justice and wanted to do what was right. And it's this righteousness that establishes his kingdom. And it's unrighteousness and sin that acts as a corrupting agent that causes decay, instability, and destruction. And because this principle is true, this not only applies to rulers, but our lives as well. There's nothing that will destroy our lives faster than sin. Sin gives a shot of pleasure It seems like it's beneficial, but it leaves destruction in its wake. And so, fathers and husbands, we are to lead our families in righteousness, doing what is just and right before the Lord for the well-being of our family. Pastors and elders are to do this for the church doing what is right before the Lord in accordance with His Word, the Lord's Word. Bosses are to do what is right and fair for all their employees and their customers. But there's only one who has done this perfectly and whose throne will be established forever. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, whether people's eyes were on Him, or not, always walked in God's commandments from the heart, delighting to do God's will. And the good news is that we in here who have not done that, and even though we strive to do that now, don't do it perfectly, 
that obedience of Christ counts as ours. God sees us as if we had always delighted to do His will perfectly from the heart because Christ's righteousness is credited to us. And so, in God's sight, we are as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ because we are covered with His righteousness. And so we stand before Him holy and blameless and above reproach. He has fulfilled the just penalty, doing justice perfectly by fulfilling the penalty for us, paying for that in full. And so He was raised from the dead because the penalty could no longer hold Him because He was perfectly righteous He has taken His throne at the right hand of the Majesty on high where He always lives to make intercession for us and where we are seated with Him and we will reign with Him forever. And from where He will come again to judge perfectly the living and the dead. And His kingdom will have no end. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we ask that You would help us be people who do justly, righteousness, and walk humbly with You and show mercy. We struggle. We are self-willed. And so we need Your grace and Your help to do this. But we thank You that even though we fail, and even though we will not succeed perfectly, that the pressure is off of us to do this for life because Christ has done it for us. And so we do it from life, from the life we have in Christ, knowing that all our sins are forever forgiven for Christ's sake and that You are making us into His image by grace. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.